0: nice to have you along for episode number 38 of The Boys of Tech for Monday the 12th of October 2009. Hosting the show, I'm Edwin Herman and as usual, Brett King, welcome. Howdy. Brett, another week and you know, it's a few more earthquakes. Uh,
1: yes indeed.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm starting to get worried, I really am. Did you feel the one here <laughs> in Wellington a couple of nights ago?
1: Um, Yes, yes, I did.
0: I couldn't help but think of the the other earthquakes when that happened, but it was only a four point eight.
1: <laughs> Still, a pretty big <laughs> shook the shook the foundations of the house I was in.
0: That yeah, that, that did hear as well, but uh, yeah, it could have been worse, I guess. Hey, uh mm. normally the Nobel Prize is not something that would feature on the show, but this time round, the two thousand and nine Nobel Prize for Physics has gone. In fact, two ways. Charles Kao, formerly Vice-Chancellor of the Chinese University of Hong Kong in the 1960s, made it possible for the world to talk via the light inside optical fibres. And he's, the one, you know, he's one half of the, the prize winner. Oh Brilliant. Yeah, so basically without, without his uh, you know, technology d- developed at his institute, uh, we, we wouldn't have the internet we have today.
1: Uh, no, we wouldn't. We have, wouldn't have a lot of things that we have today. Think of the number of things which either involve information passing through these cables in, you know, whether it be the internet where there's a big fat wad of these cables laid somewhere connecting all the computers together or just the the fiber channel that's used within different machines to transfer information from one part of the machine to the other part of the machine to make it do things. It's without this, without that technology, um, we wouldn't have all kinds of things. You wouldn't have crystal clear, crisp audio from your, you know, home entertainment system without that nice optic cable.
0: Yeah, it's it's definitely a huge advancement in technology. In fact, I didn't re- realize it was back in the 1960s that this was actually developed.
1: No, really, it was <laughs> I did not think it was that long ago.
0: The other half of the prize has gone to Willard Boyle and George Smith jointly at Bell Labs in New Jersey in the U.S., uh, for the invention of the CCD image sensor chip. So basically, the technology that's given rise to today's digital cameras. Yes. So we wouldn't really have the, the cameras that we have today without that technology. So that's, that's nope. brilliant.
1: It is indeed. They're well deserving of their the parts they played in two crucial creations.
0: All righty. Now, the, Brett, you're going to have to help me out on this one because huh, there's a story out there this week about Wii balance boards being used in airport security. Now, what, <laughs> tell me, what is a Wii balance board?
1: Um, Wii the- balance boards are used in as part of um, what's called Wii Fit. So if anybody's got a Wii and they've bought the Wii Fit package, which is a fitness package, so different sorts of fitness games, and they use what's called the Wii board, which is a like a little step stepping board that you put on the ground. It connects to your Wii and you use it when you're doing Wii Fit. So, how are they going to be using them, Edwin?
0: Well, they, <laughs> they're going to play games at the airport, of course. What else? <laughs> Obviously. Well, no, <laughs> No, the idea is they've got some smarts that hook up into to, you know, to the Wii balance board to detect people who are fidgeting. Uh, it's going to—I do, don't know how it's going to do this—but they reckon that they're going to use sensors to detect heart rate, uh, shifty eyes, and so on. And wow!
1: So, it, wow. Yes, yeah. it sounds to me like it's something—another one of those brilliant ideas that people have about, oh, we can make a lie detector by watching people's faces because when they tell a lie it's always going to be a certain way or <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: you know, when their heart's beating really really fast they must be telling a lie or you know if they fidget a lot they must be dodgy <laughs> it's, well, but, you know, the, the, it really yeah, some of these things you think, wow, yeah, that that really fits. You would be nervous and fidgeting if you had explosives strapped to <laughs> your jets. Yeah, well, or I'd be you ne- could just be one of those people of which there are, you know, millions and millions and millions who are fidgety people who just fidget. Or okay. you know, it being an airport and the number of people who are afraid of flying, who would be nervous and fidgeting and sweating and having palpitations because they are afraid of flying and that's what they're at an airport to do, who would trigger these technologies. (laughs) I think a lot of this stuff is more inconvenience than actually going to catch anybody.
0: Well, being made to stand on the Wii balance board I think is enough to set anyone off to fidget and start getting a bit you know, yeah, yeah, you're going to have to stand really still, that's that's what you're going to be thinking and that's going to obviously have the counter effect of you know, because you're going to Try and overcompensate, and you know, they're serious about this. They've spent twenty million, or well, they're going to spend twenty million dollars. This is the U.S. Department of Homeland Security, uh, and part of that goes to the you know the we Balance Board project.
1: It's <laughs> weird. Ah, oh, and I thought they were spending these multi millions of dollars to have these weird vacuum. Tunnels you go through and it's, you know, sucks up the air and can determine whether or not you've got some sort of explosive on you.
0: Yeah, I hadn't heard about that. Massive
1: fine traces can detect, you know, parts per million, parts per whatever. Oh, like <laughs> tiny, of the Tiny, tiny fractions of explosive signatures when it sucks out the, 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 yeah, like a big hoover. You walk through a big hoover. And it sucks off dust and vapors that are coming off you. And if you've got any explosives, it's supposed to pick them up. I thought they were doing that. That something is not going to be intrusive. You just walk through it. I thought that was going to be a brilliant idea. Well, you wouldn't want to combine the two. Now they're going to have a Wii balance board and (laughs) what? Well, Brett, you definitely wouldn't want to
0: combine the two because you'd be forever trying to keep your balance on this balance board while this wind is rushing past you. It just wouldn't work.
1: (laughs) Yes, no, that wouldn't work. That wouldn't work at all. I think they're going to get far more false positives from the Wii balance board and trying to do sensors to track whether or not you're nervous and fidgety and... Than they are going to catch actual people trying to perpetrate crime.
0: I have a feeling you might be spot on, actually. Mm. But uh, look, that's well, the, you know. I tell you what, airports are now going to be very interesting to travel through. It's going to, you know, there's so many hoops to jump through. It's almost going to be yeah, like an obstacle yeah. course.
1: <laughs> well, it's it's already proven to be a bit of an obstacle, as one of the um, one of the rumours circulating. Uh, uh, just taking a segue outside of technology precisely for the moment, about the selection of Rio de Janeiro as the new, as the, you know, after London host of the Olympic Games. The reason they didn't choose Chicago was, it is rumored to be, that the process of going through the airports and customs to get into America is so imposing that it deters people from wanting to turn up and because the Olympic games is a big tourist draw and the going through an American airport is very anti tourist it's <laughs> one of the the rumor is it's one of the big reasons why Chicago who had a was a strong contender missed out
0: it's hard to know if that was really one of the reasons but it wouldn't surprise me because it is pretty you know, I I remember going through the US when when they just introduced fingerprinting, I think it was. Yeah. So I had to put you know, put your finger there and wait there for a second, get your photo taken. Yeah, yeah as you say, there are flow on effects and and you know, if this rumour is correct, I mean that would be uh, a perfect example of, of that. So Yeah. When was the last time you traveled to the US?
1: Uh before all of this happened. <laughs> before nine eleven. And the implementation of all of these get in your face over the top security measures okay. I haven't been back, and one of well, one of the big reasons that I've not gone back through the United States is because of that, even if you're in transit, you have all of these invasions of your privacy and your picture taken and fingerprints taken and Oh, what's going to be next? You're going to have to submit a, you know, a, a verified history of who your ancestors are. You're going to have to give blood so that they can identify you by DNA. What's going to be next? It's, it's ridiculous. One of my former
0: colleagues was in transit in, I think it was LA actually. and So the, he hasn't entered the country, he was in transit and in that transit area for quite a long time. He was bored, so he was sort of wandering around and sort of pacing up and down. Eventually, he got carted away and questioned by security because they thought he was dodgy because he was pacing up and down. They thought he was some nervous person with something to hide.
1: <laughs> yeah. oh, obviously, they expect people waiting in transit lounges for hours on end to sit and do nothing in a chair, <laughs> if it's, you can find one.
0: It's crazy, isn't it?
1: And do nothing because I'm sure if he twiddled his thumbs, they would have asked him, <laughs> hello, sir, can you come with me, and don't mind me while I slip on this Rutherford glove. <laughs> oh, man. Some of it is, oh, it's, it's over the top, ridiculous. The it, things it you hear, seem... And the stories you hear from, as you said, people who've traveled through the the new system, their new security measures, and the the ridiculousness that they've had to endure just to pass through an airport that they're not even stopping in the country for. But,
0: you know, you could argue that travel is is a privilege, not a right, so,
1: (laughs) you know. When does it become a privilege?
0: Well, I mean, it's up to the country Humanity has been
1: travelling for a very long time.
0: Yeah, but now that we've got governments and security and whatnot, you know, a country doesn't have to let you in. No, they don't. They can say, don't come anywhere near us, thank you very much, goodbye,
1: but... Yep, but then tourism... How's that going to impact yeah, well, tourism? Yeah,
0: that's the thing. They they kind of have to balance that because tourism is very important. they to have to balance it because, balance it because yeah, so a lot of
1: countries, they've lost the Olympics, possibly not. You know, this is just a rumor, but it could well have been a factor as some have claimed, and that's an impact on tourism. That would have been a huge draw.
0: Now Google's got a new offering for us. It's called Google Native Client. They abbreviate it to NACL, which is also the chemical formula for salt, incidentally. I don't know if that means anything. But anyway, what is Google Native Client? It's a web client-side technology, kind of similar to, you know, at the moment we've got Flash and JavaScript and Silverlight, they all run client-side. Now, that's exactly what Google Native Client does, but as its name suggests, it runs natively. So it's natively compiled x86 code as opposed to having to have a runtime environment or, or an, an interpreter. A virtual machine. Yeah, or yeah. a virtual, yeah. So this, what it means is that we can run client-side code a lot faster and a lot more efficiently than anything else out there at the moment.
1: Hmm it will take a larger level of programming know-how to create things for this native client environment to take advantage of, you know, actual chip features and features of the pc itself and not just the generic features of the interpretive layer or the the virtual machine that javascript or flash run in. so it will take a, a you know a more in-depth knowledge of programming to actually create them but they will run significantly faster for those people who do. What I thought was interesting, the most interesting thing about this announcement, Native Client, which they've had as a, a plugin, I think, and they've only just released a Chrome version with it built-in, as a built-in feature. The most interesting thing is that the the differentiation between Microsoft and Google has always been that Microsoft is all about running things on the machine and Google is all about running things in the cloud. And this is like a big sidestep for Google <laughs> is, into going, it? well, we want everything to run in the cloud on servers outside, but we've now come to realize that for most of the people in the world, the web is slow. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's a
0: very much an about turn, isn't it?
1: Yeah. So, and so they've come up with Native Client, which now allows you to have web applications that you access through the browser, but instead of running in the virtual machine layer behind the browser, they run directly on the machine and are just viewed through the viewport of the the, the browser. So, yeah, it is quite an about turn, (laughs) I think.
0: As you put it, it very much is an about turn, very very different to the usual philosophies. Uh, Mm. It'll be interesting to see where this one goes because it really is very different to what we've got at the moment it and is when you it's, have something that's very different like this it's kind of it makes it difficult for for them to muscle in into the market so it's it's going to be interesting to see what google can do in terms of making inroads into into getting this thing popular and in yeah, for use yeah
1: yeah getting it popular getting it in use cuz <laughs> the the beauty of javascript or flash is the fact that they're so accessible they're so easy to write you don't have to know nitty-gritty things about how to you know clear up memory cache in an Intel environment or you know what are the different extensions to access different parts of, of the, the different platforms you just write the scripting the the little code snippets and the, the virtual machine or the, the interpretive layer of the browser will you know take over all of the heavy lifting for you and do all of the other stuff and you just do the, the light the the, the You know, the icing on the cake and the the flour is taken care of for you. And so it's way easier to do stuff.
0: But but presumably they'd still release compilers and uh, SDK, would they not?
1: Yeah, but it's still a far more in-depth leap. You won't get the, you know, you won't get as many of the the backyard composers or, or... people knocking together little web apps and things who are artists and that sort of stuff who aren't big programmers. They're not in-depth. I'm going to go in and, uh, you know, code my own Quake game because I I can. Uh, They are the, I can use all of the Flash tools in Flash and the scripting to make all of these things do this stuff, the button click, change color, different shapes, all that sort of stuff to run my little Flash game. They are completely different levels.
0: You know, there are a bunch of proprietary web-based apps out there that that use ActiveX as a technology. I wonder if this is essentially trying to replace that.
1: Yeah, yeah, it does sound more like that.
0: Sounds very much like an yeah, like an ActiveX, but maybe done reasonably well. If it's Google, hopefully, maybe.
1: Well, hopefully, <laughs> yeah. maybe um, they do have. It will be interesting to see exactly how their security model works and how secure it actually is, because that is one of the other things, layers of protection you have when accessing things on the, the internet. Uh, we all know the internet is not a safe place to, to play. The, the, you know, the, the next website you go to might have something embedded in it which attempts to do something nasty. With, all of, with things like Flash and with the other ones, there's that extra layer of security. They can't access certain things they can do certain things through, you know, flaws and exploits, but by default, they're not supposed to have certain access to the, the system itself. Whereas things that run natively do, because
0: that's going to be the big concern, isn't it? Because it's it's run it's essentially a an application on your computer. For- yeah,
1: it's just like running it's just like running the web browser itself, or just like running you know your install of Quake which you've installed, or just like running Microsoft Office right off your computer. That's what it does. It's so a native. They have to
0: have a pretty robust security model for this to remain safe because, yeah, people are going to want to poke holes in this. If At least, well, if it gets any traction, people are going to want to poke holes in this. That's for sure.
1: Mm, definitely. Well, people are going to want to poke holes in it anyway because it's from Google.
0: Well, yeah, that's true, yeah.
1: And even, the, even people who, you know, love the different Google things will test those things and to try to poke holes in them to make them better.
0: Yeah, it's what people do, isn't it? Now, in the US, the Federal Trade Commission, the FTC, is wanting advertisers to disclose any money or free products that they've given to bloggers as payment for their endorsement. So this is this is an important story for bloggers, an important story for podcasters. There are reviews out there in blogs and podcasts. That favour certain products, and sometimes there's a reason for that. It's because they've, you know, been given a, fr- a free product or yeah, a discount. Or they've
1: something. either been paid off, or they're one of those viral bloggers that have been set up purely as viral advertising to, you know, hype up somebody's product.
0: So, what do you think about making making this a mandatory thing? You know, uh, advertisers having to disclose what was given or what discount was.
1: I think it's a good idea. It's you know, part of me would love to be able to say that people aren't going to, you know, lie about these different things, that, you know, it's going to be clear, easy to differentiate the advertising and the not. And generally it is, because anybody who's read a review uh, that is so over the top glowing about a product and (laughs) it's relatively easy to pick up when there's somebody who's, been paid to create this or they're just somebody for some reason who really loves something it's generally easy to find to pick them out but yeah some of them are especially if it's a a website that you know you've trusted before and they come out with a glowing review of something, you want to know whether or not that's really um, a glowing review of the product or a glowing review of the free stuff they got.
0: <laughs> yeah, well put. Absolutely. You, so Sometimes, as you say, you can pick up on these things. It's, you know, any transparency is a good thing. That's, that's the way I see it anyway.
1: Yeah, yeah. The only problem I see with this is the FTC can only dictate things in America.
0: Well that's true it's an American uh, federal agency, so this you know would only apply to the u s
1: only apply to the u s and bloggers either within the u s or possibly uh, they often get by by bloggers using u s based systems, so if your blog is in the u s you might be fall under their jurisdiction
0: now, a bunch of Microsoft customers are a little upset that. They were expecting free copies of Windows Seven because they purchased Vista within the last whatever it was number of weeks or months. And since were, July. You know, since July, is that what it was? They're told they're going to get a free copy. Now, what's what? It, it turns out that they're going to have to fork out some money. Uh, it ranges anywhere between about five and seventeen US dollars, depending mm-hmm. on the vendor. Now, the reason for this is that they're saying that the the product is still free. You know, the, the CD with windows 7 or the dvd with windows 7 on it is free yep. mm-hmm. but they still have to pay shipping and handling mm. and initially you might think well fair enough you know it costs them to send it out yep. but the thing is it does not cost 17 us dollars to ship a cd we're not talking about a boxed copy with a manual it doesn't cost 17 dollars to ship that
1: no no
0: you can see what's happening
1: you can definitely see what's happening here. The thing to remember about it, though, is that the the free upgrade as part of the the Windows Seven upgrade option program, or or whatever it's decided to be called now, is dictated by the the retailer or the PC manufacturer that you got your PC or your retail copy of Vista from. It is whether or not they have signed in to the the upgrade option program. So, for instance, I could go out right now, buy myself a copy of Vista, and if I don't buy from one of the signed-on brands or signed-on outlets, I'm not going to get a free upgrade.
0: Right, so you have to buy so from a participating to, vendor.
1: Yeah, so it's up to the vendor how they want to handle it. So I think that could be part of it. The 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 difference, the vast differences in prices for these upgrades, for the, your free copy being sent to you, could very well be part of the fact that Microsoft sends out the free update, the free upgrade to the vendors. The vendors then send them out to their people who've purchased things underneath, under their programs. So if you bought it from Dell, then you get the upgrade from Dell, not from Microsoft. Dell's the one who sends you the upgrade. Yeah, so but it, you can see yeah, but how none, none of these pro- okay these they're, they're, different these different vendors might be tacking on their own well they are, and the, handling costs. I'm sure so it's got really got nothing to do with Microsoft on that part of well, it. Well, okay, that's true. It's it's, part yeah, of, it's, it's yeah. got to do with the vendors and how they're handling it, but it's got to do with Microsoft and the fact that that's how they decided their their upgrade option program was going to work. Which is what I thought was silly. It should be like most of the other ones. You know, you snip out a voucher and you get your money back and it comes from the actual vendor itself, the creator of what you're getting free. Well, you think that'd be more efficient, not wouldn't you? The, yeah, not the middleman. man. <laughs> but in,
0: I, I think the, the the thing that... There's two reasons why people are annoyed. One is because the, the fact that the shipping and handling is, is so great, it doesn't cost... Seventeen US dollars to ship a CD. We know that, so why are they tacking on that much? And the second thing is, is that they had no idea until just recently. So all along, they were under the understanding that I buy my Vista machine now, uh, knowing that Windows Seven will come out soon. But when that happens. I can get the copy for free. In other words, no money has to come out of my wallet, but they still have to pay 17 depending on the vendor, up to $17 in shipping, and that's what they weren't aware of at the time. It's basically mm. hidden costs.
1: So it I is can- a hidden cost, and it, it, it should have been clearly outlined by the vendor themselves. Well, I, I really don't absolute, see it yeah. as being, in this specific circumstance, I really don't see it as Microsoft's fault. No, but it looks bad. It's not something it looks. To blame no, you're Microsoft right. It's,
0: it doesn't seem to be Microsoft's fault at all. It is the
1: vendors' all. faults for not disclosing what their extra pricing was going to be. But unfortunately, I, th- it I
0: it. think it's going to reflect poorly on Microsoft. Oh, Look, well, it's not their fault, we. but it will. It's going to, it It's going to hurt them. I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So anyway, now Apple is, is <laughs> has gone on an interesting tangent. They've, they've what they're, ta- they're taking on Woolworths basically for. <laughs> <laughs> this is funny. Woolworths have created this new logo. It's it's a kind of a swirl on the shape of an apple, complete with a little leaf at the top. I might add as well. And Apple mm. are taking on Woolworths because they claim that the logo is a little similar to theirs. Really? <laughs> Which seems a bit crazy. Now, on the face of it, it seems ridiculous. But what's Woolworths got to do with a computer company?
1: Yeah. But uh, how close is the logo?
0: Well, in not uh, in my opinion. Not very close at all. I mean, sure, you can make out it's an apple, but it's very stylized. It looks, yeah, it looks more they, like a. They look
1: absolutely nothing alike. No, you can tell nothing it, alike whatsoever.
0: You can tell it is
1: kind of meant to be an apple, but it's, yeah, it it's not. It's kind of it's it's a W with a, it's, it's a W shaped like an apple.
0: But yeah, the the, the bigger question is, wh- why would Woolworths be a threat to Apple? On the face of it, you think that Apple are being silly, but if you look into the details of the story, what Woolworths have done is that they've applied for what's called a blanket trademark, which means that it can use that trademark in almost any type of product, any type of you know, uh, goods or services, which can include yep. electrical goods uh, that they yep. already sell, uh, such as MP3 players and so on. And that's mm-hmm. the issue that Apple has.
1: And they've got a perfectly valid point there.
0: It's going to be unfortunate for Apple because I don't think people will understand that. People will think, oh, come on, Apple, you're being stupid. Just let it go. It's a supermarket chain or, you know, department store chain. It's not, <laughs> it's not a, a computer company. But, uh, you know, people won't realize that, that, in fact, that's the reason. And, you know, if, if Apple don't act now, you know, it, it gives it Woolworths an opportunity that, uh, that Apple doesn't really want them to take.
1: You can definitely see Apple's side of the fact that if Woolworths creates their own home brand stuff
0: yeah, and, then they have a iPod and they have player, their own home uh, brand MP3
1: electronic device yeah. and it happens to come in a, a white box with the the Woolworths Apple symbol on it, that's a little too close. <laughs> yeah, absolutely.
0: So Apple have mounted a legal challenge and it's going to, I guess, have to play itself out in courts and, and see what happens. So that's the Woolworths Apple story done. Glad we got that one out of the road.
1: Oh, Precisely.
0: Now, speaking of lawsuits, Sony is being sued over some PlayStation 3 updates that were sent out that apparently bricks the
1: consoles. Indeed, Turns them into giant bricks. They have... They've done something which they've done in the past, which actually, admittedly, a lot of different people have done, different companies have done in the past. They've put out... A firmware update. They do it all the time. But this one doesn't seem like it should have really passed QA. Quality (laughs) assurance stuffed up on this one. So (laughs) a lot of unsuspecting owners have turned on their PS3. PS3 has automatically gone off and said, oh, look, there's a firmware update, better update. And a lot of people said, yes, as you do. And then suddenly things started going pear shaped. <laughs> Some people had crashes, other bugs have started showing up. And for the very unfortunate, they now own rather expensive plastic, black, sleek, pretty looking bricks. <laughs>
0: Nice. <laughs> PlayStation Three version three point zero point zero firmware update. Isn't that a clue? Never update with anything point zero point zero because you, <laughs> you, you know it's not going to be right.
1: Oh, indeed. And uh, a little while after, came out with another firmware update, which yeah, they did fixed three point zero point one. Problems. Yeah, yep, fixed a lot of the problems other people were having. But unfortunately, once you have a brick, there is nothing you can do with it. <laughs> Well, Sony want to charge Except, 150 bucks to get the problems fixed. Yeah, precisely. Yeah. The only thing you can do with your brick is send it to Sony and get Sony to unbrick it for you.
0: For 150 bucks, I think that's for a bit rich.
1: Bucks. And that is a rip. It and was their problem. They slipped out a firmware update which was dodgy, should not have been pushed out, and it has caused the bricking of their product they it should be on their own head and their own financial loss to unbrick those ps streets, And hence the lawsuit. And hence the lawsuit.
0: Wow. I wouldn't want to be Sony right now. They, they really dropped the ball this time.
1: They did drop the ball on that one. Normally, these sorts of things don't go this far to the suing. After enough people complain about having to pay for unbricking, they generally just drop that practice for the time. <laughs> yeah, this time Sony Until are the sticking
0: to their guns, aren't they?
1: But yeah, this time, this time it's had to go all the way to a, an actual full-on lawsuit.
0: In fact, I think the last time we covered a story similar to this was when Seagate issued an update that effectively bricked the hard drives. So yeah. you couldn't boot or do anything.
1: No. <laughs> that was nasty. Yes. Well, I'm happy to relate that my PS3 is fine and, and going well.
0: Oh, so you didn't update?
1: No, no, I've got the, it updated to the latest one, but I didn't brick and I haven't noticed any issues.
0: So did you put on 300 or 301?
1: I don't know. You just click, know. you just clicked yes. <laughs> I just clicked yes. <laughs> Maybe you're lucky. I, I just put in my Ghostbusters game and click yes. <laughs> It's actually
0: quite scary because I think we all do, whether it's a PlayStation or an Apple computer or a Windows computer, when the thing comes up saying, we've got some (laughs) updates, would you like them? We all go, yes, please.
1: Yep. If you think, well, I only do it in those instances where I'm pretty damn sure that, you know, it's an official thing coming through. So I know my PlayStation is not going to pop up those sorts of things unless it's actually something coming from Sony. And there's a uh, hackers worked out some way to do that. But I've not heard of them being able to, to um, intercept that yet. No,
0: but that's a scary thought.
1: Um, so yes. So I can be pretty sure that when my PS3 asks me to update its firmware, that it's getting it from a reliable source. Whereas on my PC, I'm a little more wary. Yeah, but if it's and a Windows update, I definitely don't click those things if they pop up on the web.
0: Oh no, absolutely! But the Windows one—that you know, oh yes—if the, the Windows, Windows
1: bubble in the corner pops up saying, "Hey, we've found new updates," then yes, I generally do click it and go, "Okay, whatever." And hope, hope <laughs> for the best. <laughs> <laughs> Unless uh, I would I heard something on the news about not installing something, in which case I then don't do that
0: one. Well, I wouldn't want to be Sony right now. I'll tell you that.
1: No, no, <laughs> I wouldn't want to be Sony quality assurance right now.
0: <laughs> no, that's for sure. Uh, now, uh, this week, Bruce Simpson on his blog, on the Aardvark blog, has written a rather interesting piece, and I thought it might w- be worth a mention here on, on this uh, show, and that is that he reckons there's a reason why Google is pushing its browser, the Chrome browser, and the reason is this, that who, who currently, who owns the biggest advertising network on the net? Google. Absolutely, it's Google. By a long because way. they just
1: bought a big chunk of it.
0: They, well, yeah, <laughs> double So they want to protect that. And what's a very popular type of technology for delivering advertising on the web? Uh, flash. Flash, absolutely. Now, what a lot of people are doing, as you're probably well aware, is installing flash blockers. Now, Bruce's theory is that the reason for Google Chrome is that when if Google can basically make it number one, you know, we're talking, you know, 75 80%, whatever, of the... Net population using Google Chrome, they're going to make it such that you cannot install a Flash blocker, and that way they're protecting their very own advertising network. Now, I got to just add again one more time that this is Bruce's theory. We don't know anything about the, you know, whether this is true. But what do you think about that?
1: Well, it's definitely something they could do. It would really be a kick in the face to their "Don't Be Evil" motto. And they would, you know, lose a lot of face by doing something like that. But it's definitely within their power.
0: It's, it's plausible.
1: I don't know if you just... It said. is plausible. I think it might be a step further than they would actually go. But, yeah, it's a scary thought. I'm perfectly fine with the little unobtrusive Google ads, you know, ads by Google, little text links that some people... Format nicely with some style sheet codes, and other people just leave as boring little bits of text. I'm perfectly fine with those, but the big flash ones, which are annoying, and the ones I really hate, are you know, take a little segue into things Brett hates the flash ads, which player noise or some other irritating thing whenever your mouse goes over it.
0: Oh, that's annoying. So it's like you move your mouse
1: around the page and you go past two or three of these damn Flash ads and they all play these stupid things. The one that annoyed me the most, the most recently, is that silly Death Clock one with a little Grim Reaper. I haven't seen that. See the game and see when you're going to die, blah. And it's got this horrible cackle really annoying synthesized sort of cackle when you hover over it. And so when you're moving your mouse around and you get like two or three of these damn cackles little trying to look and read at a page really annoys me. Oh, I really don't, <laughs> I
0: hate the ones that take over your browser. They start off either at the top or at the side and they kind of grow over the page. Ah,
1: it's, yes. It's like, go away. And the ones that don't, especially when they don't have the obvious little click here to make me small again.
0: Oh, yeah, that's annoying, yeah. <laughs> that when they don't have that, it's...
1: You know, or it, it, it's hidden. And you've got to damn well search around it, and you're wasting all that time when what you want is directly under this giant expanded flash.
0: <laughs> well, look, I'm the same as you. I don't mind advertising when it's...
1: Unobtrusive.
0: Unobtr- yeah, when when it's sensible, you know? It's when they mm. start going out of their way to get in your face, and th- that's the only reason I have a flash blocker. It's the only reason. Mm. I, I don't mind normal ads, so... Yeah.
1: Don't mind the text. I, I don't even mind the ones which might have some pictures or the, the flash ones that are pictures and moving bits. As long as they don't do something stupid when my mouse moves over them. <laughs> like expand and fill up the screen like you described. Or do stupid noises or anything like that. If they're just text and pictures and whatever, then fine. Yeah.
0: Well, you know, I go, going but back don't to this... get in face about it. <laughs> Absolutely. So coming back to this uh, Bruce Simpson story, you know, it's, it's an interesting paradigm he puts forward. I hope he's wrong.
1: It is. I hope he's wrong too because it would be a sad day when Google does something that evil.
0: Mm. Well put. Now, something else that's scary is that the director of the FBI, Robert Mueller... Has stopped using internet banking on his wife's orders because she caught him almost falling prey to an email phishing scam.
1: (laughs) Oh man. I laughed so much when I read that story.
0: (laughs) This is unbelievable.
1: Uh, you would think the director of the FBI would be a little more clued up. (laughs) One would
0: think so. One would think so. He almost got sucked into a scam, and now almost
1: got sucked into the scam. It was his
0: wife. It was his wife.
1: (laughs) Wife saved him. No,
0: don't. You're not using internet banking anymore.
1: (laughs) I thought that was brilliant. Step away
0: from the internet. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's a good story for entertainment value. That's look. I tell you what. It's he. They've actually, you know, he could have kept this quiet. They've, you know, he's decided to talk about it, and I think that's kind of notable.
1: well, definitely. He's a high profile person in a very powerful position. And admitting to that even he can fall for these sorts of scams and you should be wary. It's yeah. Well, I it think takes it's a good
0: guts to say that, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, it definitely takes guts to say it and it's a good eye opener for more people out there. That these things are out there and you can fall for them. No and matter how, do. And, well, you know, yeah. conscious about security, <laughs> as you may be, <laughs> these things you can fall for if you don't really check. Yeah. You're going to admit that you've fallen for a phishing scam? <laughs> no. Not Nigerian knowingly. Nigerian scam? No, no. None of I, those. <laughs> speaking of spam and scams, I, I am, you know, I am missing my Nigerian scams. Yeah,
0: they seem I, to have tailed off a bit, haven't they?
1: Yeah, yeah, they have. I have not received any offers of free large amounts of money in ages.
0: Do you want me to send you one?
1: I'll, okay, write, I'll, okay. I'll
0: write one. And in fact, it will be in proper English for the first time.
1: <gasps> oh, but Oh That'll stand out. Gonna you, have, you'll know. You're going to have <laughs> to do it differently, though. You're going to have to – it's got to be proper. Oh, okay. So I have <laughs> to have it, if the, it's, the If it's and... fully grammatical, semantically done English, then I'm going to know it's not a scammer.
0: Okay, I'll do it properly. Where's my caps lock key? <laughs> oh man you gotta you gotta laugh when you see these things you really do i i actually yeah. do read them sometimes oh, because yeah, yeah, yeah. it's so, actually quite funny do.
1: scams are actually really interesting <laughs> they're entertaining they're quite, it's, <laughs> and all of the websites out there are about people who've actually started having conversations with these scammers and getting them to do things to try and get the other person to do the money. Is-
0: yeah, but I've, I've read some stories where that can actually turn quite nasty. These guys do have oh, links
1: can. to... They are. It's criminal organisation.
0: Yeah, you, you have to be very careful. <laughs> and you, you really... In fact, it's actually not advisable to do that at all. You really don't want not- to... The best thing to do is just ignore those things. But yes, mm-hmm. you can read about people who have tried to bait a scammer. <laughs> so, uh, but I, you know, it, you, if you do read more into to the the connections they have and what they're prepared to do. You'd you'd want to be very careful. You don't want to do that piece of advice for Mm. this week. All right, well, those are our stories for this week. That pretty much wraps up episode number 38 of the Boys of Tech. Brett, thank you for hosting the show with me. Always a pleasure, Edwin. And we'll see you all again next week for episode number 39. Till then, take care. (laughs) Bye-bye.